This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priests said her any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found out Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of The Left Wing with Luke Fitzgerald. If they were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald. Oh, Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Let's have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamped and scored. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast in association with Leia Healthcare. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined in studio, as always, by my co-host Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Billy boy, what's up? I How prefer that better to, what was it, Willie something or other last week? <laughs> I don't know. Billy boy. I'm just freeballing here, I just, uh, <laughs> I'm just going with my gut, so uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, I'm going to see how far I can take this. Speaking of guts, you're going to be having some pancakes later. It's Pancake Tuesday. Happy Pancake Tuesday. You too, Will. I'm very excited about it. Very, very excited. I've been training for this for a year and a half. Um, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm feeling good about it. I think I might have a record a record evening. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it works out that way. Favourite toppings? <laughs> uh, your usual suspects. Um, you know, a bit of lemon, a bit of sugar, a bit of butter. Um, uh, is that a crepe Suzette is that, is that right I don't know maybe we'll ask Bernard maybe Jackman later he spent a lot of time in France he'll be our uh, guest be today our Dragons um, coach Nutella of course you can't go wrong with Nutella unbelievable uh, one thing I would say is you're not allowed in the house if you like savoury pancakes you're gone yeah, like a ham and cheese pancake oh, oh, nothing disgusting. disgusts me more than someone going into lemon and getting a ham and cheese like no just leave Get you don't belong in here I don't even know why that kind of stuff is on the menu you don't belong in lemon or any other pancake joint anywhere in the world for my just for my money anyway just absolutely not and lemon feel free to send a few in after the plug we've just been giving you if you're if anyone from lemon is listening uh, I've been a, a loyal customer for a long time I used to go I've gotten a good while I used to enjoy it a bit when I was younger I'm actually not going to eat any pancakes this year oh that's yeah I'm, is that know, pathetic? I'm actually, I'm, that's yeah. I'm close to walking out here, folks. Very, very close to walking out. Well, I have something I want to run by you with your permission. It's a competition. I think I'm thinking of instituting on behalf of the show. Okay. Uh, you know, the key to a good podcast, I presume. You know, this is my, one of my first ones, but is building a good relationship with the audience around the show. Yes. I think we've been building that over the course of the season so far. I want to give away some of our great left wing mugs that we have. Oh, we able to give them. What about one? Sure, what about us? Have you got one? I want. You sure. definitely have one at the desk. I bet you. I'm sure we can take one. I don't think. <laughs> it's, like, it's our show. Like I don't think anyone's going to stop don't me from taking. Stop that. stealing the props. Um, 
Yeah. Well, actually, uh, in fairness, I think they've gone down quite well. I think they look very cool. I'm actually they a bit disappointed cool. that I haven't... This will be a good test of our audience, our listenership, our relationship, how much they enjoy the show. Because I want to give away three mugs to the best three questions. Luke, you know... Have we got three to replace? Because I've ah, only yeah, ever seen three of them. I, well, yeah, we do. We have just created a competition that you can't actually so. We'll see, on. we'll see. Depending Don't on worry, how many I'll hold them to it, guys. But obviously, you know, on Reddit, <laughs> there are big things of Ask Me Anythings with, you know, they have famous people on and they and they answer any questions yeah, yeah, that are put yeah. to them. You know, the celebrity among the two of us, I was thinking possibly... You all, I, I, I think obviously the, the, the name-calling thing is... It's my little... It's, it's my shot at... Sorry, it's my attempt even for a little bit of payback because you know I hate that word. The C word should be banned on the show. <laughs> the you say word. that all the time. It's, but, it's like, embarrassing. I'm just merely just stating fact. Like, <laughs> Tom Cruise is a celebrity. Tom like, Cruise. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Someone like well, that. There was, Daniel there was a time when you were coming out of school that people thought you could be as big as Tom Cruise potentially. Uh, I'm not sure about that one, Will. Uh, I definitely thought it myself, but I think I was alone. <laughs> <laughs> so while here, so we're going to run this competition. Yeah, we? so I want people to tweet at Slattery Will with any question you want me to ask Luke on next week's show. The best Three questions will receive a left wing mug, but if there's no good questions, I'm not giving away mugs. I'm not. I'm not going to be a charity. Are you in a position to give away mugs? You honestly are you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I am. Like I, okay, fine. I'm ninety. Fine. I'm ninety five percent sure. It comes out of your wage. I'm 95% <laughs> sure that I can give away a mug on, uh, for this competition. Fine, okay, yeah. So feel free to tweet me at Saturday Will with your best questions for Luke and ask me anything in the in our little kind of pre interview. Uh, banter slot, I guess, what we do each week. I will I will put these questions to Luke on the best three questions. We might come to an agreement on the best three questions and give away three mugs, or at least one mug. I, I think I should be able to swing one mug anyway. One mug, I think, is a good idea to one start mug. off with. Like, yeah, one mug. something that you can deliver on. I can deliver on. At least you've got three weeks of prizes then. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I, I, I can definitely deliver. <laughs> I, have, I have a minimum slash maximum of three mugs is there anything you'd be uncomfortable answering if they did? Just go for it. Go for it. No, like I mean, obviously within reason. Like, let's keep it clean, folks. But, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. Luke has uh, a, a, a reputation crack, yeah. to keep up. He's wearing a tie. You know, yeah, that's the sign a of a person with good reputation wearing be, a tie. Like Gav, like Gav. I mean, come on. You could have at least dressed up. Well, he's pointing to our sound engineer off, uh, unfairly uh, ridiculing him. He's literally in a t-shirt and he's what, a Converse. Is this what? What you got? Converse. He's got shoes. Like literally, you could have made an effort. Come on, Gav. At this stage, come on. <laughs> You're getting comfortable is what that is. Oh That's God. what that is. Now, now it's, it's certainly taken. <laughs> this banner is not a certain... It's turned into workplace bullying. Uh, well, that's not the intention. I was just trying to say, listen, come on, Gav. Spruce it up. Keep okay. the people guessing. So last call. Get your questions into at Slattery Will. I'm also hoping to boost his old social media following Luke oh, as well. You're you know, There's always no an There's always motive. something with you. <laughs> actually, I want to take exception to it. Someone who tweeted me last week. I can't remember his name, but he had a Super Mario emoji. I can't remember his name. You like, know who you are. Super Mario emoji. Claiming that I'm trying to jump ship from the end now because I keep plugging myself. I'm doing air quotes. Plugging myself for every single other job in the media. For the record, he's not wrong. No, for the Every record, single show you start off the with record. something. Can you get me into the BBC? Well, they can, can both be true. I don't want to jump ship, but obviously, if a big television, you just spot. want as many jobs as possible. Exactly. You're a hungry, you hungry know, man. Exactly. Well, look, I like it. If you don't ask, you don't get. Um, would be my philosophy as well. So uh, keep keep trying. I'm not sure I can help you, but if I can, well. I think that's a that's a good segue into our interview. Bernard Jackman, Dragon Tech coach, is on the line. Well, Bernard, I'm actually going to start off a bit with your playing career because when I asked Luke off air about his memories playing with the, the great hooker, Bernard Jackman, he just kind of smiled and said, it seems so long ago. So I don't want to make you feel old, Bernard, but that's what Luke had to say. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Bertie. <laughs> well, I was already old. 
I was already old when Luke when Luke came out of Black Rock with his collar up into the lesson train and just uh, just start firing the ball off those off those center central. Uh, we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. But uh, unfortunately, none of us could catch them. But uh, that was good. It's good. <laughs> the good old days. Here, listen, Bertie. I actually we didn't rehearse that. I didn't know Will was going to start out on the attack. Nah, no worries, man. But you dealt with it well. Sure you just sure, diverted sure straight for me. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that, man. Well, Bernie, you can get a bit of a revenge here. Maybe I heard you off the ball last weekend talking about when Johnny Sexton first came into the setup and the, and the attitude he had, kind of driving standards, even though he maybe hadn't achieved what he would go on to achieve. Like, what was Luke like when he first came in? You know, the Black Rock, you know, star coming into the lens. Yeah, I, I think Luke, um, Luke always had massive uh, confidence in his own ability. And, and um, he, you know, he, he was one of these fellas who always wanted the ball, which I suppose Johnny's kind of the same. But um, it just, yeah, he, there was a young, young breed who came in um, to Leinster, I think 2005, you know, check his first year. Um, and I suppose they had no fear, really, and um, expected. Um, expected to win, you know, and knew if they prep well, they'd win. Whereas probably um, the previous generation, I'd only joined that year as well from Connor, but certainly there was probably some mental scars um, in, in in the in the squad from, um, from some high profile defeats in, in big games. But um, with the mixture of the change of culture, Checker brought in, you know, probably um, some of the recruits he brought in, and then some of the players, you know, who came through an academy, um, definitely played a huge role in in, in changing that. From being underperforming team to a team who I suppose eventually won a you know like first European Cup in two thousand nine. And yeah, you look. I guess he was the young player coming in. But what did you see in Bernard? I guess you know he's gone on to be you know a, a good coach now. Did, did you see any qualities there at the time? Uh, yeah, listen, loads of qualities. We had we had a great bunch uh, of really hardworking guys in there at the time. Um, we Will Green was the guy I first started training with. Uh, who Bertie when I was a. An absolute cracking bloke, trained really, really hard. He come over from kind of from Wasps, I think, Birchie, wasn't it? Yeah. And he had that kind of ingrained, and they had had that really kind of golden period there. So I was even himself and a guy called Johnny Wickham, which I, who I trained with for the whole summer. I trained with the, the, the Johnny Wickham, uh, and uh, yeah, it was actually Johnny Wickham, Will Green. I, I trained with them for the whole summer in the gym. And I put on 10 kilos training with them, obviously the two props. Um, but it was just, it was an unbelievable grind. It was guys like uh, Birchie, there was uh, Mal O'Kelly was there. Um, you know, you had Keith Gleason, all these guys who were just like, had a good bit of experience at the time, um, really hungry to get better. And I suppose uh, like, uh, as Bernard kind of alluded to there, had had probably a little bit of pain, um, had had a few tough losses along the way. Um and I think it, it it made for a really nice squad. We had a lot of young guys coming through. It was myself, Rob Carney, Jamie Heesop, Keen Healy, your Sean O'Brien's, Johnny Sexton's, all mixing with this group who were had that little bit of pain, who were really hungry to get better. And I think that coincided with obviously Michael Checker coming in, who just had that burning desire to be a winner, a do whatever it takes kind of attitude. And um, those two things, it was kind of like the perfect mix to to get the club moving in the right direction. And um, uh, what do you think, Bertie? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I actually. I'm embarrassed to say I'd actually kind of hadn't credited Will Green um, probably enough, but now you've mentioned it, he was a guy who came in from Wasps, wasn't a high-profile winner in Wasps in terms of, you know, the obviously guys like Howley, Alex King, Lawrence Delalio, etc. got the plaudits, but he actually trained at a different level um, than any of the rest of our front rowers, and now I think back of it, he just was very professional, very driven in his own way, um, saw so every training session is an opportunity to lay down a marker in terms of 
what he brought to the to the party. And, and to be honest, that was mainly around his engine and his ability mm. to. Um, he wasn't the best scrummer in the world, um, but he was someone who had a massive consistency in terms of his his work rate and his out, output. And it's it's sometimes like when you bring a foreign player in, which will would have been, you know, it's not just getting guys from from the southern hemisphere. It's it's getting some some players in. I think that have experience, have been in you know in good environments, um, and know how to get the job done. And, and you know um, he's certainly somebody who who had an influence in a in a very quiet way, but was just a really solid soldier. And um, I suppose you know once you have enough of them in your in your squad and you have you know people with X Factor, um, you've got a you know the perfect blend. It's funny that Bernard mentions Will Green's engine because for a lot of Leinster fans they might remember one of the greatest tries Leinster, has, <laughs> Leinster ever scored, possibly the greatest try tight had probably ever scored. Leinster Bath, O'Driscoll and Darcy doing one twos up the whole pitch. Will Green disappears on his shoulder. It was a at the very end. It was a smart look. He was a smart guy. I honestly, that was the best thing that could happen to someone. Like, listen. I love the training anyway. I think I would have really enjoyed working hard and getting better in the gym. I would have enjoyed that. But it was actually being around guys like that who were kind of it was smart guys as well. I mean, Keith Gleason was a big influence on me. And then, you know, just in terms of guys like, like Bernard Jackman and, and these kind of fellas were coming into the squad, having access to guys like Birchie was key for someone like me. And, and it's, I'm not surprised that, that uh, Birchie, you've gone on to, to the coaching side. I mean, you could really see it. You were, you were one of the guys who would have been driving, um, you know, working with Enda McNulty and uh, trying to get the mental side of the game. I, I, I tell you, it was no surprise to me that you've gone on to be such a success in, in the coaching. I mean, did you find, do you credit that being in the, in the Leinster setup at that time with your desire to, to stay in the game? Yeah, I was lucky. I was very lucky. I think, um, I had a, I'd obviously had a, um, a a few a few setbacks in my career. I had a year where I didn't have a contract, and um, you know, Leinster was my home province, and I, 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 I was a pro for five years before I got to to get back to Leinster. I was dropped from Irish squads. I toured toured South Africa with Ireland in '98. I didn't get capped in 2005, so I had a lot of a lot of setbacks, and I think made me more focused, more driven. Then to get into a team, and, and I realised straight away the quality was there, uh, um, but I felt that. I felt that we probably were just missing that that mental pr- approach. So, um, Cheka helped me, I suppose, work with McNulty. Then McNulty became um, a part of of our backroom staff, and uh, we just changed. There was a lot of different things happened at the same time, but I think definitely we, we had a lot more um, maturity in terms of the mental side of the game, in terms of our mental prep and our understanding of how to get yourself right um, for big days. Like think back to the semi final against Munster and Croke Park. I mean, you know. We were. I remember on that bus going to that going to that ground and just having no doubt that we were we were ready to to perform. We weren't sure we we're going to win, but we knew we were going to perform. And once you have that um, consistency of, of of preparation in terms of the rugby side of it, in terms of physical side of it, and the mental side of it as well is is key. So yeah, I was I was very lucky and I was very, always interested in coaching. I was coaching coach that coaching Tullow when I was twenty three and and just getting as much experience as I could in terms of actually. You know, delivering the message, understanding tactics, and being around. You know, being in that dressing room, uh, dressing room, you know, was key. Obviously, I was looking up to be in a few Irish dressing rooms and and working on some really good coaches. But you know, I remember Michael Check used to have a game manager meeting on a on a Monday, and you'd have you'd have Felipe, you'd have Rob Carney, you'd have Brian, you'd have you know Alan Gaffney, David Knox. Um, you know, Luke could be called in. He'd bring in different people every week, and you know. The players had a, had a, a massive say in actually, you know, how we're we going to play that week based on the analysis we did of the opposition, and 
Um, it's just so good to, I suppose, to get player-driven. Um, have a player-driven environment. And Checker was comfortable enough in his own his own skin to facilitate that, you know, and also cute enough and smart enough to be able to steer it the way he wanted as well. Um, if he felt it was going, you know, it was going off tangent. And I think that's that's something that I certainly um, tried to uh, try to implement here. It's a lot easier in Wales than it probably was in France, but um, it is important that players really good cues. Um, they're able to pick up on on, on those messages and able to um, understand depending on the analysis of opposition, what's likely to work in terms of what we have in our locker. So um, it, was a, it was a brilliant time and uh, certainly, um, yeah, certainly I'd like to create that kind of environment in, in the Dragons. Uh, Bernie, you, you, both, you and Luca both thought about the mix you had in that Leinster dressing room between the veteran players and some really good young up-and-coming players. I guess in the Dragons at the moment, it's mostly younger players. Like, How do yeah. you find dealing with a predominantly young squad where there wouldn't be that much experience? Yeah, I think, I think youngsters never let you down in terms of, Enthusiasm, attitude, um, and and desire, and but what you, what they do sometimes lack is um, a little bit of game knowledge and, and and game management, and that's um, that's that's hard to instill in them without them getting experience, without them having, I suppose, difficult moments and opportunities to review and opportunities to um, to go out there and, and and try and and try and fix it and experience that. So that's something we we've, we've obviously struggled with this year. But there's a plan to it, you know. I think it's no secret that the Dragons haven't been able to recruit um, for the last five or six years. The club have been up for sale. Um, the old board, um, you know, weren't interested in in um, putting any money into the playing side of it. So effectively, it became quite a stagnant group. Um, and surprisingly, actually, they didn't really give many youngsters a chance. So. Um, you know, I felt that it was really important that we we blood some youngsters. We've given ten teenagers their debut in a Pro 14, which is, you know, pretty extreme. Um, I would say a Welsh teenager, a little bit behind an Irish teenager in terms of his training age. Well, a long way behind an Irish teenager in terms of training age. Not that they're not good players, but um, they have rugby in them. It's just physically and tactically, technically, they, it's a little bit different um, because there's not that schools game here, and and they don't have a, a strong enough handle on them. Um, outside of that now, as I said they are really good players and they do come through just a little bit later to develop so we've given those 10 teenagers their debut another one's going to make his Pro 14 debut this weekend um, and then obviously we've got a bunch of guys 23, 24 um, who we believe we can build a build a region around and now we've gone out and recruited you know for next year people like Ross Moriarty um, Richard Hibbard uh, now Ross is still a young man, but he has, you know, he's obviously got Test match experience, British and Irish line. Hibbs has been on two lines tours, uh, um, and he's going to give us a little bit of, you know, now up front. Uh, but we don't, we don't want to, we want to be a young team. We, you know, our average age so far this season is 22. Um, I think next year we can, we'll definitely be a hell of a lot smarter tactically um, because of the experience we've had this year. And Bernard, like, how have you found making that transition, like the the kind of big picture stuff, where, like you said, there, it sounds to me like you're trying to be like build a project. And just from looking at all the activity and the interaction with the supporters, um, and obviously with the board and everything behind the scenes, it seems like it's there's a real holistic kind of side to the job where you seem to be have your hand in every part of it, and that's might be yeah, an I obvious thing to job. say. Do you enjoy that part of it? Yeah, no, I know. I really like that. To be honest, I, I've become less hands-on coaching, which. You know, my love is coaching. Uh, my first love was coaching and, and being out there trying to trying to improve things technically. Um, but the reality is that 
the job that's needed in the Dragons is is more director Ruby type. Um, I am still head coach, but um, like tomorrow night I'm, I'm in a club called Carfilly, which is a you know uh, actually played in the European in the Challenge Cup um, before the regional came in. Um, a club with a lot of history. Um, you know we're we're playing a match in Ebbervale. Uh, we're playing Edinburgh and Ebbervale next week. There's a lot of activity around that. So effectively, we're looking to we're the only region who are union owned. Um, we're probably the region that had the most um, conflict and politics because obviously the region is Gwent, um, but the club, the region became basically very, uh, very much focused around Newport, um, and in like in any uh, in any in any province or region. Um, generally, the the villages and the towns don't like the city, and um, so there became animosity probably or in the valleys that basically the region was being represented by you know what was a very Newport focused um, outfit. So we're trying to we've obviously changed the name. That's that's only a, that's a small part of it, but it's about us getting out amongst the region and being transparent and not trying to be a resource for the re- for for all the clubs in the region. We've got seventy two clubs in this region. Um, it's a very rich region in terms of talent and, and history and, and um, passion for rugby. Um, but they've never had a region that actually, um, or sorry, a, a, a professional outfit that wants to, I suppose, actually to spend time and effort in trying to help them in, in terms of their own issues, in terms of participation, in terms of s mm-hmm. in terms of coaching, etc. So, um, yeah, like this week I'm out in three different clubs, three different nights, um, giving talks, um, you know, we're doing a lot of coaching seminars. Um, all our trainings are open, open plan, so anyone can come and um, can come and watch. And we're just trying to, we're just trying to basically show show rugby fans in in in, in this part of Wales, as Gwent, that you know we want to represent them properly. Now, the biggest the biggest thing is to represent them properly on the pitch, and and to do that, I think the fans will forgive us for losing um, short term, but what they expect is a level of of desire and commitment uh, and sacrifice um, that makes them proud to support us. And we haven't had that in the past, Luke, and we haven't had it um, at certain times this year. But we're getting there. I mean, um, the team weren't fit enough to um, to play for 80 minutes and, and we've had to massively increase our um, our load and our intensity. And we've had a lot of injuries because of that. We've tw- we had 26 players injured over Christmas because players broke. Um, but the reality was... The reality was they were breaking a Welsh camp. Um, so, you know, if there was a 50-50 call between a, a Dragon and an Osprey or a Dragon and a, and a Blue, a Cardiff Blue player, it was always e- easier for the national team to pick the other region's player because they were used to a higher intensity and they didn't break down in camp. And um, for me, that was, a, that was a no-brainer. You know, I can't... If I want to keep my, the best players in, in, in the region, I want to recruit the best players, we need to make sure that our environment is is um, giving them every opportunity to play international rugby. So um, did you find any any your your own version of Kalini Hills, Birchie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, we did a bit. We went we did a bit of sand dunes and oh, now to be honest with you, we actually we did ma- we, we went for you know massive blocks of, of high intensity games. So mm-hmm. those three minute blocks, four minute blocks where the ball is in play constantly and um you know we've 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 got a massive <sighs> Our ball and play average last year, before I was here, was 27 minutes. Um, at the weekend against Glasgow, we had 42 minutes. Um, it's a huge ball and play, we drew. Game, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge difference, and that's like. But we were never able. To, the reason we we weren't able to to get to that level. So when we went to Leinster and Munster and Ulster this year, I put out a very young team. Um, once the ball and play 
by more than 35 minutes, we were out on our feet. And, you know, we ended up conceding 40, 40 points, 45 points, 50 points. Um, I'm glad to say now that's not going to be an issue. Now there's technical and tactical issues we need and power issues we need to um, correct. But, you know, the core ingredient of, of, of any elite sport is is being fit fit enough to, to, to play. Um, so this job is different than every other job. I think that, well, not most of our jobs is that... Um, there's some core fundamentals that weren't in place that we hmm. we need to get in place before we add the next layer. And, and like, do you know what? I mean, listening to you there, I mean, it sounds like a really exciting prospect because I, I know from talking to Reese Ruddock and and Mike obviously was was a coach there in Newport and had a lot of success. I mean, that's a really, as you say, traditionally a very rich rugby kind of stronghold and it sounds to me like you've got a huge job in your hands but that must be really exciting like I always think like you can have a massive massive impact in, a, in an environment like that where not to, not to say you're coming from miles behind but you're coming from behind like essentially from comics, a, maybe? yeah but like, I just think there's, a, there's a, such a, an opportunity to, to really have it's a proper project there I mean are you excited by it yeah it's, it's, it's brilliant like listen it's it's, um, it's all encompassing but I genuinely believe when we get it right, we can, we can change. You know, we can be the first group group of men um, to to put the region on the map. Because as you know, when when Mike was here, it was it was Newport. You know, and it worked great. There was massive. Mm. There was massive. You know, European nights, Friday nights. Um, we had Gary Tysman, They had Percy Montgomery. Um, you know, they had Ron, Rod Snow, um, Ian Goff, etc. And and the place was packed. And I think once you once we get a bit of success, it's it's. All the work we're doing in the community is is great and it's really important. But the reality is, you know, people want to see a winning team. Um, you know, we, they won four games last year in all competitions. Um, you know, we've won seven and drawn two this year. It's not where we want to get yet. But you know, I, I genuinely believe when we get a winning team, um, and not, we don't have to win every single game, but when we get a winning team who are consistent, um, I think we'll start to, to sell out Rodney Parade. And I think that'll start to catch momentum. Um, commercially, we're we're starting to pull in a hell of a lot more sponsorships than sponsorship than we ever have because people in the region and companies in the region can see, you know, things are changing. And suddenly, then you know, you get a little bit extra budget. You go and get another marquee player. Um, you know, you know yourself, Luke. Those marquee players, you know, once you recruit the right ones, help you win, you know, a couple of tight games a season. And suddenly, you're away. I think Scarlets, you know, and we want to play. We want to play, you know, attacking rugby. Scarlets. Have shown, you know, with good structure and a good culture, um, that Welsh players are very comfortable on the ball, mm. um, and you know, I, I can see there's, there's there's a lot of rugby in in, the, in those youngsters. They just need some guidance. They need a plan. Um, they need some consistency. They need good medical, good S and C, all that stuff. Good mental, uh, mental coaching. And I think we can. I think we can definitely put um, the dragons on the map. And and that's. Listen, that's what you get up in the morning for, you know. Um, there's, like, there's a lot of work goes on, but if there's no carrot at the end of it and, and, and you don't have that vision um, and you don't believe it's going to happen, I think it could be pretty um, pretty mundane. Bernard, while we have you here, I'd love to get uh, a bit some of your thoughts on your time in France as well. We had Ian Madigan in earlier this season. He was telling us a bit about the differences, you know, playing over in France and training over there as opposed to over in Ireland. Like The first thing I want to get your opinion on is the whole home and away thing, the way French teams can be so good at home and, and then does not really turn up away from home. Like When you were the coach, obviously, from coming from your background, that's not something you would have stood for. So how did you try to get that through to your squad? Uh, I think the problem was that we tried to... Um, have a real consistency of prep. So the reason there's so much, there's so much variance in home and away is because culturally it's accepted 
that you don't do well away from home. And they 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 put that into kids' um, mentality. Young, I mean, um, you know, our underage ki- our underage team. Um, in you need Granada, to get the doorbell, G. Someone at the door, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Thanks a lot. It's my uh, it's my food for the week, lads. Oh. <laughs> I mean, <I'm> even, <laughs> You're living clean. Thank you. See you um, the the underage, the underage and stuff like that. Like when they go, if you like Black Rock playing Terenure, and the coaches and the parents will be saying, lads, you know, it's away from home. Don't worry about it. And it just it gets into their into their psyche. And this wouldn't be any, you know, this is under eights or under tens. There's no crowd influence or anything like that. And it's just it's in all aspects of French sport, but. The biggest issue is that the coaches, the coaches effectively build up home games to be absolutely massive, right? And um, generally, then the whole week has been pressure, emotion, um, everybody highly strung. And in fairness to the French, they do generally perform um, better with that kind of build up. The crowd then is obviously massive. The referees are influenced a little bit by that. Uh, and generally, you win at home, okay? And then the review, the review Monday is perfect. Everything is rosy. It's not, it's based, it's very orientated in terms of the review. So then Monday, Monday's training might be very light or be called off. Um, Tuesday, it's a very easy prep. Thursday's a very easy prep. And then you get on a bus and suddenly, you know, emotionally, you're way off where you were the week before in terms of your, your training load, maybe in terms of the, the detail that they that they get. And then you go out and flop, okay? And then Monday again, it's a cycle. Monday is horrible because the review is hard. <laughs> um, and it goes, it's a massive up, down, up, down. And so what we try to do is we try to have a more consistency um, of, of prep. And we, for, for, a, for a team with a small budget, you know, we won in Toulon, we won in Toulouse, um, we won in Montpellier, we won, we won everywhere except Claremont. Um, but, Effectively, then the French players felt that it was affecting our home performances because we were too we were too level in terms of our prep. Um, and then they went to the president and said, "Oh no, we need to build up more for the home games. We need to be easier." And then the president gets involved, and it just becomes um, it just becomes hard to to bottom out and get any consistency. Now it's interesting. Montpellier this year obviously have a have a you know a super charged squad. Um, and they have, you know, obviously uh, an Anglo-Saxon coaching staff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how what how, what Byrne can do with them because he obviously knows the French psyche. He obviously speaks the language. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if someone like him, who's in a club where um, he's got like a massive South African foreign player influence, whether they can, I suppose, bring those French fellas along to their mentality and they can change now in fairness over the last couple of years there has been a higher percentage of away wins than there was six or seven years ago i mean six seven years ago for for five or six of the teams at the bottom it was literally do everything you can to win your home games and send the espoirs away so um <laughs> no no but it's, it's, it's true um and if you look at the brief now at the moment and Oina and um Agen are in relegation battle that's what they'll do they'll just literally send you know an under 23s team away from home or the fellas who are in the the fridge as they say who are out of out of favor and so the, the big name players are the, would only ever play every second week so you're basically prepping for that so um and even the big teams sometimes rotate away from home so you know it's easier for those for those small clubs and Bertie, you know, to, just to start... on that one like i mean when you're talking to the 
the president, you know, are you yeah. like, are, are you able to influence his, his or her thinking on that? Are you able to say, listen, yeah. You like, are until they, do, go, do you are until they go down and have lunch with someone else. Um, and that's the, <laughs> that's the great thing about France that makes it brilliant is that everybody has an opinion. Um, the unfortunate thing is that the, the presidents, etc., are, are very easily influenced. And even that's the, that's the case with agents. I mean, certain pre- agents have, have control over certain presidents. And um, if you, just because you're, if you're a very good center um, and for, you know, a, a top 14 club wants a center, but you're with the wrong agent, you know, it'd be very hard for you to get into that club. And that's, that's, um, it's it, in some ways it's very old fashioned. Um, you know, they say in France, you don't interview for a job, you, you have lunch, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but it is, it's a case of being able to sit down with a president and he'll tell you about what he did as a player and, um, some, you know, and listen to, um, some old stories and things like that. But then like that, I'm not trying to be negative about it. It's just very different. It's, it's, um, it's an, it's a fascinating place to work. I mean, um, you know, we we got promoted from Pro D two, and and our only objective every year was to stay up. Um, and I found that first couple of years that was that was fine, but then you know I obviously wanted to try and build something that's um, not based around winning, you know, winning thirty percent of your games, and and um, and never having any ambition to do anything more. So, um, but in France, they very much the president, and the board, and the sponsors, and the fans, and the players will accept by and large, their place in the in the pecking order, you know, so um, now La Rochelle, in fairness to them, have, have kind of um, gone from being a small club to being you know, being up there with the with the top six, now they're, they're a very good club and financially they're very sound, but um, invariably, you know, Toulouse have, have fallen out of that top six uh, but invariably it's the same it's the same clubs um, up the top and it's the same clubs down the bottom, and to be honest, apart from the ones who get relegated the ones who finished 11th, 11th and 12th, um, historically see the success. Yeah. And Bert, Bert, like, there's a perception, I guess, that the like French rugby coaches in that league are fairly old school. Like, do you think would French players be receptive to a kind of a Joe Schmidt kind of coach who's really detail orientated and demands a really high standard? I think they would. I think the the good ones would. I mean, there's um, it depends on what academy they came through. To be honest, uh, it's um, an issue. I think that. An issue in French rugby is that is the academies of each club are effectively ran by the old association of of the club. So um, the, the the pro outfit are are basically a separate company, but they're attached to to the to the academy. And effectively, in the academy, there's there's because of the amount of foreign players, because of how important recruitment is. Um, for years, there wasn't a strong alignment between the pro pro side of the game and the and the the amateur side of the game who were running the academy. So a lot of the like you're allowed to stay in a French academy till you're 23, which for me, I mean, your career could be over. You know, half your career could be over by 23. You know, I think that if you're not showing enough at 20 or 21, you don't have to be starting every week, but you got to show that you have the ability to to be a pro rugby player. Um, I think that you know you, you probably the next generation should be should be pushing you pushing you out. Um, but over there, you can stay until you're you're 23 in an academy. Um, and it's a very soft, easy, slow process, and it's not like high intensity or um, elite environment. It's literally like you know that. Well, let's leave him there for for three or four, or four or five, six years, um, and eventually he'll come true. And if he doesn't come true in the top fourteen academy, he will have a very comfortable career either in Pro D two or Federal one, picking up a 
uh, you know, a decent salary. So, in a, in in a, use the Irish example. If you can't, if you don't make the Leinster Academy or the Munster Academy, Ulster Academy, Connacht Academy, you're probably not going to make it as a pro in Ireland. Um, and you're probably going to have to pack your bags and try and get into the championship in England. And that's even become harder because, um, you know, there's a massive focus on English qualified players now because that's how the clubs get the revenue from the RFU. Uh, um, Welsh qualified. We Obviously, here in the Dragons, we'll be looking to bring through Welsh qualified players. I'm sure, you know, the Scots are doing the same. So at, at 18 or 17 or 16 in Ireland, those kids are used to jostling for position and actually very conscious of the fact that they might be the best kid in their school, but that's irrelevant. They need to be the best kid in their position um, in the province. And even at that, Leinster might only take, use Leinster example, they might only take five players that year. You know, if they already have two wingers in the academy, well, then you better be unbelievably good for them to, to make a place for you. So I think that's a really good mindset for elite sports people to have. And um, being used to being competitive at a young age, you know, you look at swimming, golf, all the elite tennis, those those elite uh, athletes in, in other sports have been incredibly dedicated since they were very young and are used to competing for rankings or scholarships or whatever. Whereas in France, it's like, oh, he's a he's a massive, he's 130 kilo prop, um, you know, he's going to he's going to make it. Uh, and that doesn't that doesn't make them very conscious of looking for detail or understanding how detail and, and you know, um, having consistency of training, having consistency of play is important to them. So I think the good ones would, would be very receptive to Joe and the fellas that Joe worked with in Claremont, you know, they they appreciated his genius, absolutely. But, you know, I think in the smaller clubs, they like detail until, until you actually say to them on a Monday morning, you know, you were supposed to be at that breakdown or you were supposed to be doing that job at that breakdown, or you're supposed to be there in the defensive system, then they don't like it because then they're accountable. Um, uh, and accountability isn't isn't really strong under 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 needs chart. That's really interesting. Uh, and look, when you look at the, the French senior team, um, and you'd have to say for the amount of rugby players they have in France, to my mind, I think they've kind of underachieved for a long time. Would you agree, Will? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and I think, like, would, would you... I mean, for me, I just can't put my finger on it. I've talked to a few guys after games in Six Nations, and I look at their team and say, Jesus, like, I mean, we should have... Like, there's times when maybe we lost in a close game or whatever, but when you look at the squads, I remember thinking at the time, Jesus, no, but that shouldn't have even been close when you look at those two squads. But to my mind, they've been under, underachieving for a long time, and it looks to me like they're kind of going backwards. And I look at some of the coaching... I mean, you know, obviously, Guinovez, uh, I mean, incredible coach, um, probably in his pomp. But towards the end, I mean, you'd have to look at Toulouse and say that project is kind of is going backwards. Um, and now Brunel is there. And I just think I don't see like a lot of these guys haven't been at the cutting edge of a of a really successful organization or, you know, for, for quite a while, to my mind. I mean, Brunel didn't seem to be able to impact much change in Italy, but that might yeah. be an impossible job. I don't know. Um, but just to my mind, I, I don't get where the space is. It's interesting you, you, you were saying there, you know, from a young age, the accountability side, they're kind of lacking there. They don't get much exposure to the kind of competitive nature of things as well. Is there anything else that you, to your mind, just from being on the inside there, because I look at it and say, there, there are two matches down here. Ireland, that was a close game against Ireland, but I mean, bar the Teddy Tomah break, they weren't really in that game. I thought the level, the, the weather really leveled that one up for, to my mind. Now, I didn't think Ireland, look, we can talk about their attack and different things, but 
to my mind, the weather was the was the big leveler there, and they didn't really look close, bar the Teddy Tomah break, bar a bit of magic from one guy. And then obviously last week against France, they kind of fell away, haven't had a good lead, uh, you know, against Scotland. Like when you look at them, like what what do you think? What what's missing? What's the missing ingredient when you have all these uh, yeah, players? I mean, no, yeah, the missing the, they have very good players. The missing um, part of it is um, is coaching. To be honest, I think um, they have never. You know they've never had a they've never gone foreign um, in 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 the in the national side and that's fine but there's the language barriers is huge Luke so mm. um, so we we were lucky you know um, you know so I had I had Gatlin um, I had Gaffney I had Cheka um, I had Jim Mandler um, in in the UK for a while um, I had Alex Wiley I had Brent Pope etc so we we're very fortunate in that there's a lot of cross pollination pollination of ideas. Um, and you know, if you, you know, Roger's gone to Crusaders now, or whatever. Uh, and if whatever he picks up there, he can bring it back. Now, obviously, he can bring it back to France uh, if he goes back there, or he can bring it back to Ireland. Where for them, it's the language barrier is a killer. Now, I, I know a lot of the coaches have reasonable English, right? And that's, uh, uh, but for for Yannick Brew, who was the French forwards coach, who, who I got to know in my coaching course, you know, he went down to he went down to New Zealand. And he spent a week with the Blues. But it's so hard for him um, to actually be able to go for a coffee, go for a beer, go for lunch with with the scrum coach, and have a really detailed um, conversation and actually learn a lot. You you see the drills, you know, you get a brief um, in, insight into, or sorry, a small insight into actually what they're thinking. But you don't really understand the the depth behind it, and that's that's probably something that's been a been an issue so um and there hasn't been that many you know foreign coaches who come into france and were able to actually get into real deep detail in terms of what they want and why it would work or why it's important you know what i mean um mm. you need to understand why this is, is is crucial do that you know and why by by doing this that's going to affect the opposition defence, for example, and then how you can exploit that. So, and I think that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I spoke to Joe when um, when I went to France first, and Joe said, you know, he the biggest thing for him was when he went to Claremont because Joe's obviously a, um, a huge amount of information and ideas. And he said because he couldn't speak the language, it actually it helped him a little bit in terms of coaching because he said, well, what's the three most important messages I need to get this week to the backs in Claremont? But how do I how do I say that in French? Um, and then he stuck to those key messages, those rocks, or whatever. Right? And that's, I think that's a really good way of um, of coaching. But it also, can you imagine your um, your Wesley Fofana, and you actually really want to get more from Joe um, on, until Joe gets his language up to you know the level he got it to. Well, then there's that barrier to that. So I think the language you have to understand is a is a is a um, is a barrier to them. And even though they have decent English, like I have. My French, thankfully, is, is decent, um, but I certainly can't press the same buttons in French um, or be able to explain something at the same level um, as I could in, in in my native language. You know what I mean? So you have to understand that that's, that's definitely holding them back. And because of that, they don't travel as much. And because of that, when they do travel, they don't pick up as much information. And also when coaches go in there, which is obviously way less than we've been exposed to, um, they can't actually... I suppose milk that information, that knowledge out of them. A bit of a hypothetical for you, Bernard, but like obviously Joe does speak 
good French. If he was the French coach currently, like where do you think France would be able to get to in the Six Nations? Probably be up top three, maybe top two. Like they have, they have serious talent. I mean, I think they're getting by. I mean, you know, they easily could have beaten Scotland. Um, you know, they ran out of a bit of steam. Their discipline is poor, but Joe would Joe or Joe would be able to sort that out. I mean, that's just that's just accountability and 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 um, basic common. Um, common sense around the law book and in terms of referees, referees um, trends, etc. Um, so uh, France, they've got Guardo is probably as good a hooker as in the competition. Um, you know, Slimani's the best scrummage in tight ends. Um, you know, Lamaraz is a good player. Teddy Thomas, obviously, um, you know, he's obviously not playing next game, but he's he, he has a, a lot of X factor. They're not even picking the best fullback. Doolin's the best fullback. Um, you know, France could be top three easy. Like as if like when I look at that's it's I you know I feel like a complete idiot because I've never even well maybe I am but <laughs> uh, no I I man I haven't even considered that that like I know it sounds silly now saying it, but I hadn't considered that language barrier and that actual tint on it and like how they they just don't have access to the same like like you said they're literally relying on all like the the culture there. Yeah. For all their ideas, so like I said, there's no as you're to coin your expression, no cross pollination, which is really interesting. When I think of my own career, and then to listen to you talk about, you know, the access to all those brilliant coaches, you've gotten so much from New Zealand. Yeah, right? like yeah. I mean, and it, that's that's yeah, that's really really interesting. And you would think that's a massive issue. Like, I mean, when you say it, it sounds really obvious. No, it is a massive issue. Like I was, um, so I I did my coaching license there, and um, like we had, you know, we had like Kevin Barring who who headed up the English coaching system came in and, and gave a presentation for a day. But I could see, and like, we had a translator there. But they just they just zone out. Like, it's not the same as being able to engage with somebody. And, mm. you know, they say, like, um, whatever, you know, going, going to conferences is great. But the best way of learning is is getting coffee, having a coffee and having a proper sit-down with people who are, you know, operating at, at elite level. They they struggle for that. And, and having, a, you know, and just building, having that relationship, being able to get on the phone to somebody, um it's just harder for them. And even the Kiwis, like we all say, we all copy the Kiwis, but let's not forget the Kiwi coaches, I mean, you know, they're playing again in the Super Rugby, they're playing against the Australians and South Africans. So they're, they're chatting post-game. They're, you know, it's just so much easier for the other countries. Now, fairness to the French, they, they also sometimes don't want to be open to new ideas as well. So it's not just the language. Yeah, yeah. I think the language, the language in some way, and like the French are actually quite shy. So I've, I've met lots of French people who's English, was way better than my French, but they were so shy about it that they they would hardly speak. Um, but the big another issue is that the fact is that they don't see a lot wrong with French rugby. They don't if if their club team is doing well and that you know they can sign the the Luke McAllisters or the or the Brian Abanas or or the Dwayne Vermeulens, they're happy. They're saying, well, listen, what's wrong with our league? Because the best players in the world want to come here, and we have the salaries that we can pay them. We keep all our best. French players, um, and they're less focused on the national side. So for them, you know, the, the, the passionate and the heartland of, of, of rugby in France is the south. Um, now, I know England are playing in Marseille next week, but sorry, France are playing in Marseille next week, but in general, they play 90% of their games in Paris. Mm. And so, you know, the most, it's not like, it's not like in Ireland where, you know, people from Tralee Rugby Club will, will get to get, come up to Dublin for the, for a Six Nations game and, and, you know, be massively passionate about it. The, generally, the crowd in, in Paris um, are Parisians who who go to go to Stade de France for the event. Um, so, like the French are happy to complain about the national team not being great and say it's a disgrace and stuff. But 
as long as their own club team are doing well, and that might be not necessarily just a top 14 club, that might be a, a village. You know, it's very... Sport in, in France is, is kind of like GA in Ireland. It's very parochial. So, um, you know, you, you might support your... You know your your little small town like Bourguin is a tiny town who were in the top fourteen for years, but now they're in Federal One and they still get four and a half thousand people to their home games because the people there would never dream of leaving, um, stopping sport in Bourguin and going to Lyon who are in the top fourteen because, um, it's it's twenty minutes away. No, their club is Lyon, that's their town, and they'll support them. Um, through thick and thin, so they're very passionate about local sport, um, which also means that they're willing to let underperformance and that slide because it's not the be on end of them. Last thing on your time in France, Bernard, was it really that big a deal when you tried to cut down on the desserts in Grenoble? Ah, <laughs> uh, that was it was no, it was just a it was just another step too far. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, um, like we had yeah, we had Fat Club. Fat Club, which I was uh, an honorary member of myself for <laughs> my career. I just I just accepted You're a Hall it. of Famer, um, yeah. Hence, <laughs> hence I'm getting um, I'm getting fish food delivered to me uh, <laughs> try try to make up for um you know, they just yeah, it's just horrendous and how, how they like they went to the president because, you know, the there was a half six session in the morning for for guys in Fat Club. Um and in fairness, I didn't try and ban the problem was we're on camp and literally there was there was cakes at breakfast. Um, <laughs> there was cake. There was a big cake at lunch, and then there was a, a you know, more more desserts. And I said, "Listen, can we not cut back to one a day?" And there was there was uproar. But uh, if, listen, in fairness, in fairness, um, you have to pick your back. Like there was loads of stuff I let slide, and then um, it was just and maybe there's more. I should have let more stuff slide. But at some stage, you need to make a stand and say, "Listen, this isn't this isn't going to help us." You know what I mean? And um, but uh, you have to do it very slowly. And probably, probably I didn't have the patience to, to to wait as long as you know. I, I've been old man before. Before we got it, we got to change. Well, just to wrap up, Bernard, just get your opinion on the Ireland Wales game in two weeks' time. Like, strangely enough, like Joe Schmidt, I think has only beaten Wales once out of four attempts in the Six Nations. So it's actually been a really tricky matchup for him. Why do you think, of all teams, maybe Wales have proved the most difficult for him? Um. I think Wales are very are, are very good. Uh, to be honest, I think um, you know Gats has uh, Gats has been there ten years. He's had two two gap years where he's been on the Lions tour, um, and when he's been around, he knows how to get a team ready. He's actually he thrives in that pressurized environment, um, and the players here have have you know a lot of a lot of faith in them. I think they're very fit. I think they're very physical. I think they've a good defensive system. Um, and they have some. They've had some really strong leaders like bigger Alan Wynne Jones, you know. And and uh, if you have, you know, England, I see it with England with with with, um, with Farrell at the moment. Farrell, you know, you only need one real. Like Ireland had it in, in Paris when, even when things aren't going well, if you've got someone who's willing to take the game by the scruff of the neck, um, you're going to win a lot more than you're going to lose. And Wales have had that in. In, in particularly in terms of leadership, bigger and and Alan Wynn now Ken Owens is becoming, um, you know, a really solid world class international player. Um, they're missing Fallaty, they're missing Warburton, etc. But um, you know they're missing Jonathan Davies, who's a big loss to them. But Liam Williams will probably back for the Ireland game. And Halfpenny was hitting form before he got sick against England. So they have a lot of players with a lot of experience who don't fear Ireland, to be honest. And um, you know, at uh, in, in international level, they've Tended to guess, um, they've got at least 50-50. If maybe you know, you know, you said Ireland, Ireland only beat them once in four under Joe. 
to beat Ireland in a World Cup um, quarter final. They they would they would back themselves to beat Ireland, and and I think that they they're in a pretty good place mentally. Going, going across the Dublin. Well, Bernard, it's funny because we were talking a bit earlier about the different mentality when French teams were playing at home and away. In in certain ways, it's a bit like with Welsh players. They seem to do come together a lot better with their national team. When you see them sometimes playing in the Pro 14 with their pro, with their uh, regions, they don't seem to hit the same heights. Well, no, they don't. That was we we, we couldn't understand that. Um, uh, um, in Ireland, how we had you know we were getting European cups um, or at least teams into the semi-final finals. And we weren't getting, you know, results or we weren't getting the, the rewards in terms of championships. And they were, at, you know, at that stage, probably only the Ospreys were really competitive in Europe. And, and yes, they were winning championships and we didn't really understand it. But I suppose, I suppose for them, then they go into Welsh camp and it's a, it's another level. And, and because you've been underperforming with your region, you probably, there's probably more pressure to perform. Um, but certainly for them, they, you know, they, they're a good side. Uh, I thought the performance against England was probably the performance of the championship so far. Um, and yet there was still, you know, some big flaws. I thought they didn't handle the high ball. Their kicking game was poor. Uh, but yet they showed real resilience to go 12-0 down, you know, away in Twickenham and battle and battle and battle. And they could have, you know, they could have easily scored. That was a brilliant cover tackle um, on, on, on Scott Williams. I mean, Shingler probably keeps that ball in the hands they score. So they did open up England who have a very good defence. So and their game is evolving. They're looking to play a lot more. Um and yeah, they're they're a very dangerous opponent. And what what do you make of Ireland so far? Um, you know, and, and where would you say if you're looking at them so where do you think they need to improve to I suppose to, to get over like to get themselves to that last weekend in, in Twickenham with, you know, four wins under their belt? Yeah, listen, I think it was polar opposite the two performances. I think um, I think if they had played the way they played against Italy against France, we would have ripped them apart. Like there was a lot of space against France out wide. We we went there early, and I think maybe we're a little bit over um, overconfident that we could wear them down. I think the problem was we didn't get the scores on the board. If we had went, you know, two scores ahead of France, uh, they would have probably broken. But because they were always in the game, and then against Italy, we obviously said, "Well, listen, we can rip them apart by." By going around them, um, or or playing out the back a little bit more, and having 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 better connection between our forwards and our and our backs, and, and they just defended horrendously bad. Um, but having said that, I think that there was enough there was enough good attacking shape against Italy to say that no matter what defence you play against, as long as you execute that well, someone will make a mistake. And that's instead of scoring eight tries, you might score one, but that might that'll be enough. Um, so I, I like the fact that we're trying to hopefully play with a little bit more deception and animation uh, because I think that's going to be needed to beat England and and Wales. Um, I don't think we can run over both those teams um, because I think, you know, if you look at what Eddie Jones is, is, is doing, it's just building this mindset and confidence and belief that they win tight games. I think he'd be delighted that they, they got into a scrap against Wales and won it because it just keeps reinforcing how fit they are, how mentally strong they are. Um, now, is it is it sales? Uh, is it a sales pitch? Is it true? Um, I don't know, but I do know that in terms of their fitness markers, they've driven it. They're, they're another eight to ten percent better this Six Nations than they were they were last year, and it's amazing. Like so, you've got a guy Eddie Jones, and 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 Warren, in fairness, has always been a massive part of his philosophy was was fitness and intensity of training and bring that to a game. And like Eddie Jones is obviously a a very smart 
uh, rugby coach, technically and tactically. And if you look at the the main key message, now obviously he's got there's more detail than that, but the main philosophy that he's brought to England is um, fitness and ability um, to train at incredible intensity. And I don't know if you, so when he came in, he said, listen, we're not fit enough. And the likes of Billy Vunapola, Maka Vunapola, they all responded really well to that. And then last year's Six Nations, it all plateaued. So their actually intensity was going up, 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 up. And then it leveled off. And then a, a group of the senior players went in the Lions tour. He got in, there was two weeks prep before in Penny Hill before they went to Argentina. And he said, listen, I'm nothing to lose here. Um, I'm going to just push it again. And um, a couple of players broke. I think four of them went back to their clubs broken. But he he said he got a set of data that was off the scales compared to what they were able to do in the Six Nations. So when those Lions players came back from the Lions tour in November, he showed them all this data and, and said, look, at this is what the, the next generation can do. And apparently now the, the senior players, the likes of Rob Shaw, etc., have ma- have stepped up and have matched that again. And it's all around this propaganda and 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 drive to be twenty percent fitter by the time of the World Cup, um, but it's 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 a core part of the game at the moment because and first Wales have always have always backed themselves. If you look at how Wales prep for World Cups, you know they go to Qatar. Wales have got a, um, a high altitude chamber in their in their training centre in the Vale here, um, and they use that regularly. It's it's but getting the players obviously physically they've got to be fit, but also believing that when they go into the last 10 minutes or five minutes or when they go into, you know, 25 or six phases on your line, that they have the the, the reserves to, to execute. And um, it's um, it's interesting that even the, the best coaches in the world, it's still a strong part of their their um, their philosophy. Brilliant stuff, Bernard. Thanks so much for joining us. No worries, guys. Take it easy. Cheers, Bertie. See ya. That's all we have time for on the left wing in association with Leia Healthcare this week. Thank you for listening and thank you to Bernard Jackman for joining us. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud or listen to us on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of The Left Wing with Luke Fitzgerald.